Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. One of the places that we're headed this morning is when we're in that place of sensing and feeling and believing that God is not coming through, that he, that he is delaying, or that he is giving something that we don't want or withholding something that we really want. How do we trust him? What is grace in this series that we're in, a glorious grace? How does it, how does it teach us to be fearless and to trust the Lord? Uh, we are in a series called A Glorious Grace, and we've been hitting on different uh, aspects of grace, different sub-series, if you will, designs of grace, foundations of grace. Where we were last week in, in the beginning of a new sub-series is called uh, Generosity and Grace. Last week I talked about and led us through a passage that, that really focused in on treasuring grace. How is it that what we treasure uh, dictates how we live, how we, uh, what we love, what we trust. And then this morning, I want to lead us into this thought of fearless grace. Putting those two words together, that grace leads us to be centered in the kingdom of God as fearless followers of Christ. I'll start us out with this little orientation. I'm, I hold in my hands here one of the greatest theological treatises ever written. I'm joking, it's a kid's book, but Dottie and Josh McDowell, many of you are familiar with Josh McDowell. He's written a number of apologetic books over the years, and uh, apologetic meaning defending the faith, giving reason, scientific and, and reasonable evidence for the faith. But they also, he and his wife, have written a number of children's books. And, and last week I referenced another children's book, and so look, when you get the Young Families Pastor up here, this is what you get, so I apologize. Um, and maybe, maybe it resonates with me because it's on my level. Who knows? But this is a book I love. I read it to my kids often, have read it to them often over the years. They're getting older now. But uh, I love what this book shows us about what the nature of what's happened to us and to the world around us as a result of, of sin. Story goes where uh, this king rules over this land, and he's a good king. And... Um, in the story, the king has to go away. Now, this is not to be representative of the biblical story or the God story, but in this story that the McDowells have written, this king leaves. And he has a son, he has the prince, and the prince is left in charge. And um, the, the people of the village don't trust the prince. They don't think that what he is saying and doing is good or true. And so they begin to, uh, to make their own rules. There's a great line in the book, kind of the whole premise of the, of the story is this line that says, we haven't a king, so we make our own rules. And as a result of that, what begins to happen in this village, in this kingdom, is uh, everything becomes disordered, chaotic, disarrayed. As the people begin to trust themselves and not their king and set up for themselves their own kingdom, Everything, title of the book, becomes topsy-turvy, upside down. Up becomes down, right becomes 
left, stop means go, wrong means right, uh, right means wrong, relatively speaking, of course, and everything is just complete chaos. Until at the very end of the book, the king comes back and everything is put in its proper order, in its proper place. This story is to serve as, as a metaphor for what scriptures tell us happened when sin came into the world. We see at the very beginning of the book, the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see this, this story of where God created the heavens and the earth and then he created the animals and the, the seas and the birds of the air and the, the, the creatures of the sea and all these things. But then his crowning creation was mankind, man and woman. The only ones of his creation that were made in his image and as a part of being made in his image, what he bestowed upon man was to say that you share in all that is mine. And not only that, but I give you the charge to have dominion over it, to rule and to reign over this land as, as my image bearers, to be fruitful and multiply, to create within this land that I have given you, this world that I have placed in your care, God worshipers, and to share in my glory, in perfect unity and community with God of all creation. And what we did, and I say we because Romans 5 makes it clear that we are in Adam. We are born into Adam, meaning that we are born with the Adamic residue of sin. It's a part of our nature. It's part of who we are. We're not sinful because of what we do. We're sinful because that's who we are. And we inherited from Adam his nature, which was this. Thanks for this incredible kingdom. Thanks for this unthinkable grace that you have bestowed upon mankind, God. But I would rather not be under the rule and reign of your good king, uh, kingdom and your kingship, but mine. I'll do things my way. I'll, say what I, I, I'll do and say what I want to do. And I'll determine what is right and good for me. And so what we see at play in Scripture from that point on from the story of the very beginning, the, our, our first parents, until now, is that we have two kingdoms at war with each other. We have the kingdom of God and we have the kingdom of self. God and his rule and reign is our good and benevolent and loving and merciful and gracious king. Or kingdom of self, where we think we are what's best for our lives, our reason, our ability to determine what is right and wrong. And it's really easy for us to agree with this narrative from the standpoint, and I say us being Christians, it's easy for us to see this narrative and say, yes, I agree with that. I can see so clearly in the world around me how when we rejected the rule and the reign of God, things went into chaos. Disordered desires and passions became just abundant in our hearts. We wanted all the wrong things and we didn't go after God in any shape, form, or fashion. And we see it all around us. We see it just this week in full, evil, wicked display in Las Vegas. And it's easy for us to say, yes, this is true, that when we rejected the kingdom of God, chaos ensued. But the place where we often look last is where it's often most on display, at least to us. And that's our own hearts. Within us, we have this daily battle, this struggle for those who are in Christ, you are in, you've been brought from, you, you, you know the kingdom of God. You've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've tasted the sweet goodness of God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And you know that it's good and proper and right to be in the kingdom, to be centered in the kingdom of God. But every single day we battle. 
We fight because our, na- our nature is to go back to our old kingdom. To go back to the kingdom of self. Of self-rule, of self-dependence, of self-sufficiency, of self-reliance. Of selfishness. And we wage war every day. Who, today, which king will I bow to? Will I bow to King Jesus or will I take the reins myself? Something that I want us to see today in the text that we're going to be going into is this. When we set up camp, so to speak, when we set up camp in the kingdom of self, then one of the byproducts of that, one of the things that flows out of that being our center and our disposition is this. I'll say it from the beginning. When we set up camp in the kingdom of self, worry and fear become the predominant atmosphere. Worry and fear become the pervasive default of our hearts when we are camped in the kingdom of self. The scripture, at least in the translation I'll be using today, the the, uh, English Standard Version, translates the word that Jesus is going to be using as anxiety or anxious. Your Bible may have the word worry, but it's getting at this this nature that we have to worry and to fear and to be anxious. I'll read you a couple things. Anxiety and worry are, are, are seemingly at an all-time high. I, this is clearly Jesus is addressing this those many years ago, so it's, it's always been a part of our fabric, but uh, partly because we're starting to study it more than we ever have, but partly because of the nature of the world that we live in in the 21st century with all of its demands and all of its time uh, demands All the pressures that we put on ourselves, anxiety seems to be at an all-time high. According to the Anxiety and Depression um, Society of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults age 18 and older, which would consist of 18.1% of the population. Now, they also estimate that these numbers are very low because oftentimes if people are struggling with anxiety and depression as close cousins, uh, they don't respond honestly to these surveys. It's estimated that approximately 10% of teenagers and 40% of adults suffer from an an anxiety disorder of some kind. And a recent survey published by the Anxiety Center showed that 41% of employees from a range of industries reported high levels of anxiety in the workplace. We tend to be, we tend to be people who are seemingly by the day more anxious more worried, more fearful. And we find ourselves in the the chains, enslaved to worry and fear. Now, it's easy for me to read you statistics and say anxiety is on the rise and all these things and just be this person who is speaking to it. But I want you to understand that I'm a person who's in it. I always feel inadequate when I stand up to preach. I always feel this sense of who am I to handle the word of God and to teach his people. If you know my heart, you would say, yeah, who, who is he <laughs> to stand up there? But especially when it comes to this, because this is a big part of my story, this struggle. I've often described myself as a recovering uh, worry addict and, and anxiety-aholic. I worry so much. It's so hard for me. In fact, um, 
where this all kind of just exploded in my life was when uh, Rachel and I just got married in 2001, and the first thing that we did after getting married is we joined staff with Campus Crusade. It was a ministry that had great impact in our life in college, and we wanted to impact college students with the gospel. So we joined staff with, with what is now called Crew, and our first assignment is Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And usually the typical thing to do uh, would have been to send us with a team down there and have a director down there who's older, who invests not only leading the ministry, but leading his staff team and pouring into them. But for a number of reasons, uh, Rachel and I end up in Hattiesburg as 22 and 23-year-olds, newly married, leading a ministry by ourselves. And it wasn't even a ministry. There had not been a ministry for two or three years. And they said, would you restart it? Now, I was flattered that they thought that much of me. And I was certainly flattered with myself because I thought I could do it. And I went in overconfident and thinking, sure, this, this, I mean, I can handle that. So we get down there and within a matter of the first six months, we struggled finding community. We felt very isolated. We couldn't find a church that we felt like that we really connected with. The church that we did join, we just felt like we were kind of outsiders. And then in addition to all that, whatever I did in ministry-wise, trying to lead the ministry, a few things worked, but by and large, it didn't work. And I fell flat on my face, literally, uh, figuratively and literally. I found myself at one point on the couch for two weeks, canceling all my appointments, saying that I can't get up. And I was absolutely crushed and crippled by anxiety and fear. I thought I was sick physically. I had all these kind of crazy, weird symptoms. I I was lightheaded and dizzy. I would have racing palpitations of the heart. I told my wife one night, you got to take me to the emergency room. I'm having a heart attack. And she, being the wise woman that she is, looked at me. She said, Jeff, you're 23. You're not having a heart attack. You're okay. And I'm thinking, I say to her, do you want me to die? I was convinced I was sick, but it was all anxiety. Thankfully, God led me out of that season. I haven't struggled with that in many, many years to his grace and and healing, but I know many of you are. I know many of you are in a place right now because I've talked with you. I've had conversations with you face-to-face to to where your reality right now was my Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I know that's many of your stories. Also know that even if that's not your story, if if you're not in in the deep trenches of anxiety and fear... We all deal with it. It's there for all of us, whether it be minor or major, somewhere on the spectrum, we're all on it. We worry about all kinds of things in all kinds of places at all different times, and and we can be absolutely crippled by it. We worry about finances. How are we going to provide our, with, you know, with this or that or my family? And how is the paycheck going to cover this and these bills? And, and then it's, you throw in the factors of health and my own health and how you can er- worry about your own health. But then also if you have a wife and children or a husband and children, you worry about your spouse's health and your kid's health. And then you worry about their school and are they making good enough grades? And do they have friends at school? And what's their social network? And should I jump in more and help them with this? And, and then you worry about anything and everything that you feel like is not within your control and I do too and what we're going to look at in the scriptures we're going to read it here in a minute and if you will be honest with yourself and if I'm honest with myself we read it and we say that's not possible it's absolutely impossible to do what Jesus is saying it feels overwhelming and it feels unrealistic But I want us to go there and I want us to look at it and I want us to consider 
how it could actually be true. Luke chapter 12, uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. On your bulletins, it won't pick up until verse 22, but, I, and, and, but starting verse 13, it'll be on the screens. I want to give context to what verses 22 through 34 are going to be telling us. That's where we'll, where we'll be mainly today. But it's so important to get the context. So let me read starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man who, made me a ju- man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. Interesting question from Jesus because he's the son of God. He has all the authority in the world. Yet he says, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? He's speaking to his mission. Although he has all authority and yes, he will judge the living and the dead one day. He is saying, according to my mission, this is not what I'm here for. This can be settled in court. This is not my position to speak into that. But he does say this, verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Make note of that verse. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let me, let me just pause there for a moment and just say this is incredibly important for what Jesus is about to say. If we just picked up in verse 22... Uh, you're going to see right away that one of the very first things that Jesus says is therefore. And you're naturally going to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? What is it linking to? And whenever we see that in Scripture, we always go back. Sometimes it's linking to the passage just prior to it. Sometimes it's linking to a number of passages leading up to it. So it's important to understand what Jesus is connecting to. And what he's saying is simply this. He's saying, I want you to understand there's a new kingdom. There's a new way. And a part of this kingdom is this, take note of verses 15 and verses 21, that in the kingdom of God, it's not about your possessions. It's not about what you have, what you own, what's been given to you in your care, under your watch. But then in verse 21, coming off verse 20, he says, if you are going to live this way where you make it about your possessions and what you covet to yourself, then he says, fool, this night your soul is acquired of you and the things you prepared Whose will they be? And then he says this, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So two key truths that are coming out of there is that it's not about possessions and we are not to be rich towards ourselves, but towards God. And that's not just with money, that's in all phases of our life. Then he says, verse 22, let's connect the dots. So he says to his disciples, therefore, in light of this, in light of this new kingdom way of living, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. We'll come back to that huge statement. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then... 
you are not able to do as small a thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what you need. Let me pause there. And I'll read the last few verses towards the end of the sermon, but I want to pause and just give you a few observations from the text that we just read. Like I've said, Jesus started with this crazy statement in verse 22. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's the part that falling upon our ears, we receive that, I receive that as uh, okay, sure, Jesus, that, that sounds good. You're king, you're God, I know that, I mean, in, yeah, but that's not reality. Really? Don't be anxious about my life? That feels like a little bit like to me, like put a filet from Stony River in front of my face and say don't eat it. It's like, okay, sure, that's going to happen. How do you not be anxious? How do you not worry? How do you not fear? But think about this. Jesus would not give us an instruction that is impossible. Now, it is impossible in our own power, certainly. But what, what if there is a new way? What if there is a new kingdom to be centered in through the power of the king living in us to where we actually live so different from the world around us that things that feel as though they were just so a part of our fabric and instinct actually become different the kingdom of God is not just this thing that we say yeah I, I proclaim God as my Lord and Savior but the kingdom of God is something that is so taking root in me King Jesus is so taking root in me that the very intricacies of who I am at the heart level are changing and I am being made like him and part of that is dying to anxiety. Like that can be true? Really? Even in the craziest, hardest circumstances that some of us face and have faced, could this be reality? Why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus say, do not be anxious about your life? Three things I want us to observe briefly. First one is this, because we are a part of something bigger than we often see. We're a part of a story that God is writing from the very beginning of time until the time that he returns again. This story of redemption, this God story that is so big and grand and spectacular of where God is bringing his kingdom to earth and has brought his kingdom to earth through the person of Jesus and will return today. Uh, uh, at some day. Oh, it'd be great if he returned today, actually. But that he, is that he is making all things new, that he is making all sad things come untrue, that this is a part of what he's doing, and that we as his people who, although we rejected him in the garden, although we said we don't want your kingdom, we want our own, he has still pursued us, and he has still graciously brought us into his kingdom. 
And we get to be a part of this grand story. But look what happens. I'll use this book as an illustration again. So what happens to us, this is, this is just natural for us, is, is that we, we live so close and so caught up in the immediate that we don't see the bigger story. We tend to live life like this. There's a story that God is writing, and it's a beautiful picture on the cover of this story and, and, and in, the, in the pages of the story, and we tend to walk around like this, and we can't see what he's doing, and part of that's just we're human, and he's God, and we're not going to see fully what he's doing. But we do trust that he's a God who's writing a story the way the scriptures say that he is, but our tendency is we're so close to what's going on that we say, God, why are you not giving me what I need? What if we could see, what if we could pull back, and what if God graciously allows us through the pages of his story written for us in the scriptures of the Bible to see, wow, there's something beautiful here. And I'm a small part of this, and and sometimes when I'm asking for things that I think that he should be providing me, I, I realize that he's bigger and greater and more loving and more gracious and more merciful than I could ever imagine. And even though he may be withholding something from me that I think I should have, or maybe he's giving me something that I wish that, that I would wish to not have, I, I understand and believe that he's a God who is so much bigger than I am. And not only that, but he's good. And I don't understand him always, but I trust him. And I trust that he is doing something far beyond my wildest imagination in me and in the world around me, if I'm a child of his. Key truth to take away from this is that our vision is is just so small. It's too small. Our vision both of what God is doing and our vision of his provision, that he will take care of those who are his. The verse that I want you to draw attention to is verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, you may say, I don't sit around worrying about food and clothing. That's one of the great privileges of being um, in, the, in the world, 21st century, middle to upper class America. But there are many in our, in our country, right beneath our noses, who do worry about that every day. But if it's not food or clothing for you, it's something that you just... It, but, but what we have to hear from King Jesus is this. Life is so much bigger than what we make it. The story is so much bigger than what we often realize, what we often see. Key question is, what if we could see the story of our lives from the perspective of God? Would we worry less? Second thing, Jesus said this because we are more valuable than we often realize. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And not just the birds, the ravens. The ravens were the birds that in Jesus' day were considered the, low, the lowest of the low. It's like, like ten times worse than pigeons. They're the dirtiest birds, and they don't do anything. They don't sow. They don't reap. They represent death and darkness. And he's saying, look, even those terrible creatures, God provides for them. He gives them food to eat. And then he asked this crazy question. And when I say crazy, I mean like this, this should be like a aha moment for us. Of that, How much more value are you? 
Oftentimes in Reformed circles, we're a part of the denomination that believes in the Reformed doctrines. If you don't know what that is, you can ask us about it later. But sometimes as great as I love, I love our theology and our doctrine. Sometimes what happens inadvertently, we don't mean to do it, is that we make such a deal of God, rightfully so, we should never stop doing that. And His glory and His grandeur and His magnificence and His beauty, that inadvertently we, we devalue who we are as beloved children of God made in His image. For those who are in Christ, beloved, adored, loved children of God and made in the image of God key truth for you to understand and for, I to under, for me to understand is this, is that anxiety is often birthed out of insecurity. Not just insecurity in who we are and our value in Jesus, but insecurity in who God is and his ability to provide and love his people, to take care of us. Key question to ask is what if we could see ourselves from the perspective of God? What if we could see our story from God's perspective? What if we could see ourselves? Thirdly, why would Jesus say this? Because we are more powerless than we often think. Look at verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? We believe the lie. We convince ourselves that our worrying has power. That our worrying actually changes something. That it actually accomplishes, accomplishes something. And what we see in the scriptures is that what does have power, and I don't mean this in just some little pastoral Christian trite way, but it's the truth. What does have power is our prayers. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Could this be true? That for those who are centered in the kingdom of God under the good rule and reign of King Jesus, that we can actually be a part of a reality where we don't have to be anxious? Because of what he's doing in us. That we can actually allow our worries and our fears and our anxieties not to be something that cripples us, but something that takes us to our knees. And that our worry prompts prayer and that our prayer prompts freedom. That we pray and let go, trusting that God is who he says he is. Listen to the rest of this passage. You can see it on the screen. What are we to do? What are we to do with all of this? Verse 31. Instead, it's a huge word. It's a huge word. Instead of seeking kingdom of self, instead of seeking self-reliance and uh, 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 self-sufficiency and all these things as we rule ourselves, instead of doing that, seek his kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Verse 32, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 32, if you like underlining verses, that's one to underline. This phrase, fear not little flock, is the only time in all of the New Testament scripture in the Greek, in the original language of the Greek, where that, where that phrase is used. It's as if Jesus is saying this. He's saying, look, you are a people, you are an anxious 
people. You are a worrisome people. You are a fearful people. And it's almost as if so tenderly, it's not almost, it is as if Jesus is very tenderly, very graciously as our shepherd. He's getting down on our level and he's, he's coming down and he's just saying with all gentleness and care, he's saying, fear not, my little flock. For it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Listen, don't miss this. When we become more and more convinced, when we see more and more that it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, then we worry and fear less and less. What does it mean to give us the kingdom? It means that we are positioning ourselves under the good rule and reign of God. So what does this have to do anything with generosity and grace? Let me explain it this way. When I was young, I can remember um, my grandfather had this condition. He's now with the Lord, but he had this condition uh, called Dupuytren's contracture. Some of you may have had this or know someone who's had it. It's where you develop these strands under the palm or under the skin of the palm of your hands that begin to uh, draw your fingers in and then they solidify. I can remember my grandfather picking me up and his hands look like this. It always starts on the outside, the pinky finger moves in through the hand and towards the, uh, the pointer finger and eventually it'll close your hands completely. I can remember my, father, uh, my grandfather's hands being like this when he would pick me up and play with me and I always say, Granddaddy, what, what, what's going on with your hands? And he'd say, oh, it's just the way, way they are and you know, he'd probably tell me some war story that wasn't true, but anyway... Um, he would say, oh, try to open them. And I would pull, and I would pull, and those things were like, I mean, they were, they were completely immovable. And, and there's a number of treatments that you can do, but ultimately when his condition got so bad, what you had to do is you had to go in and you had to actually open the palm of the hand and cut those strands that had developed to where you could have your hands open again. And then you had to go through a fairly lengthy physical therapy process to be able to do this again. Let me, let me say this. The nature of the kingdom of self is that we operate with the, with the dispositions of our hearts like this. We naturally want to close in and hold tight and control what we think is ours. And you know what we do when we do that? We worry. What we hold on to and clasp and grasp and all of our trying and all of our efforts feeds worry and fear. That's the kingdom of self. What God is doing in us through the work of Jesus is he's placed us into a new kingdom and a new way of life with a new heart, with a new spirit where he comes in and as painful as it may be, what we sometimes call his violent grace, is that he comes in and he snips those things and he, and he allows us by his grace to live with the disposition of our hearts being this, open-handed. And it's not just open-handed uh, towards others, although it is that. It's open-handed to receive all that is his for us and then to be open-handed with all that he's given us to steward it wisely among who's around us. And certainly that can mean monetarily, financially, but it's everything about us that he's entrusted to us, the gifts that he's given us, the talents that he's given us, the time that he has given us here on this earth to where what we do is we live and act and operate as people like this. And what happens daily is every day we go back to our nature and we start doing this and we say God would you come and cut those strands whoop uh, and then we go right and this is this is what we do over and over again as we fight the battle of the kingdom of self versus the, the kingdom of God and we have to remember that people of God walking in step with God are rich towards God 
are open-handed towards God. And when we live like this, worry and fear begin to dissipate. It seems unrealistic, but through the power of the Spirit, it's true. Where do we see this most, most clearly? Jesus. (laughs) It's always the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Aren't you glad that Jesus went open-handed to the cross? He wrestled with the Father in the garden the night before the crucifixion, and he said, Lord, if there be any other way, and the Father made it very clear, this is the only way, this is your mission, to come and to give your life as a ransom for many, to suffer unbearably physically and spiritually, be separated from the Father on the cross, that he would turn his back from you and say, uh, and abandon you on the cross, and that you would say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me, and experience the deep pain of eternal unity with the Father, and in that moment be abandoned by the Father. The physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain that Jesus felt that he went into that open-handed and his disposition wasn't this, it was this. And he did it to rescue you and me from ourselves. To rescue us from the kingdom of self. To put us into a better kingdom, an infinitely better kingdom. Where he is king. And he is in every way good. And we can trust him. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that in Jesus we have been given everything we've ever dreamed of. Thank you that in Jesus we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and set into the kingdom of light. For those of us whose faith is in you and trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we actually can live in this reality with you reigning as king in control of of who we are, that you can actually kill anxiety and worry and fear in us. Father, I know there are many in the room who are going through things that are so painful and have walked through things that are so painful that this just seems like this this could never be true. Father, convince us that it is. And by your grace, make us a people who experience your freedom. And as we do, make us generous. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.